Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you tonight that you've come to join us. Thank you, Jesus. You said that wherever two or three of us would gather together in your name, there you would be in the midst. And so I thank you that you're here with us. Holy Spirit, you live inside of us. And so I thank you that you lead us tonight, you guide us. I ask you to show us what you want us to know from the book that you wrote. Give us a spirit of revelation, a spirit of understanding this evening as we look at your word. Father, I give you thanks and I give you honor. I'm so glad that you sent Jesus to us. I'm so glad, Lord, that we get to enter into the season in the next month or two about Emmanuel, God with us. God became a man. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so grateful for it. We rejoice tonight at your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 i read you a passage of Scripture to start off with. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For if by one man's offense, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign by one, Jesus Christ. So that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I guess they all are. I say that every week probably. Um, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Now who who would that have been? Well, that would have been Adam. It was talking about Adam. And it says much more. I like that word, that phrase, much more. They which receive abundance of grace. Now who would that be? Us. Us. We've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Again, that's us. It says, though that, that group of people, us, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So the scripture here tells us that just as much as Adam lost it for himself and for all humanity, Jesus regained it. And we are the recipients of it. The word reign here means to rule, to have dominance, to exercise kingly power. Who has that now? And we want to say Jesus, but the scripture says that we have it. That you and I, in this earth, it says that we rule, we have dominance, and that we exercise kingly power. That almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? We have kingly power. Jesus is the king. Amplified says, For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, or offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely, I like that phrase, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, His unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with Himself, reign as kings in life through one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Much more surely. That's amazing. If, if by Adam's trespass, death reigned, much more surely, we, more surely than Adam blew it, more surely than that, we reign in life by one. Those are good words. That ought to make everybody smile a little bit. We reign. We, 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 have, we have kingly power. We can exercise. We are able to dominate 
our enemy. We rule, man, much more assuredly. The Bible says of man in Romans 8, verse 6, it says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. That's, that's talking about man. We, it says God gave us dominion over all things. We have dominion over all things. Now, the, word, the, the, the little words all things means all things. <laughs> everything. Everything in our lives, we, we are supposed to have dominion over it. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he hath given to the children of men. God gave us the earth. We are to be reigning in life on the earth. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. What kings is he king over? Us. What lords is he lord over? Us. This is referring to us. Jesus is, is the king of these kings. We are the kings and we are the lords. See, too many Christians live their lives in fear and intimidation. They're afraid of tomorrow, afraid of today. They're intimidated when in reality we're the ones in charge. Isn't that good sounding? Everybody wants to be in charge of something. I mean, even if it's the dog or the cat, you want to be in charge of something. But the Bible says that we reign in all things. I mean, it, it, many Christians live their lives like we mentioned last week about about the Apostle Paul at Ephesus and, and how they had all the miracles. And then the sons of Sceva went out and they tried to cast out the devil. And they said, in the name of, of, of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we adjure you, come out of him. And the demon said, uh, Jesus I know. Paul I know about, but who are you? And people think, people think that that's how we, we size up with, with the demons. We have to understand something. We reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. They ought to know about you. The demons ought to say, you know, Jesus I know, Randy I know about. And now I'm afraid you might know too much and I might get kicked out of here. They, we, we need to be the ones who are reigning in life. We are the ones. The devil is a liar. Every time he tells you something, you need to recognize it's a lie. He only tells lies. And if he starts telling you you're no good, you can't make it, you'll never have victory, all the, if he starts telling you, you need to stop and say, okay, okay, I hear you, you're a liar. So the opposite of that is true, and that's what I have in my life. We must quit listening to what he's saying. Got to quit listening to that. I heard about a guy who, who, was, who was visiting with his 101-year-old aunt, and he noticed that what she was using as a hearing aid in her ear was just an earphone from a transistor radio. And he said he noticed that it was coming out of her blouse and it wasn't plugged into anything. <laughs> the wire was. And so he looked at her and he said, how does that help your hearing? And she said, don't help my hearing none. It just makes people talk louder. <laughs> well... Here's the problem with Christians today. We're like that lady. We have, a hearing, we have a hearing device that's not plugged into the right place. It's connected to what the world is trying to say. People, Christians many times are so plugged into the world, they're unable to hear the voice of the Lord. I mean, we have to take time to hear His, 
hear his, his voice. The world is talking louder in most Christians' ears than the Word is speaking to them. We need to take time to refresh our ears so that we can hear what the Lord is saying. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 4. He said, if any man have ears to hear. Now that's an interesting statement because uh, most men have ears. But not everybody has ears that can hear. He said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about these things on the side of our head. He's talking about an ear that can hear in the Spirit. Not everybody can hear in the Spirit because they don't have ears that will hear. Now, they could have them, but they don't. Jesus said, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said, take heed what you hear. See, and he's not talking about just hearing. He's talking about listening to paying attention to something. We as believers ought to pay attention to the things that we allow to get beyond our ears into our thoughts. We need to stop things before they get too far. That's what the apostle was talking about when he said to take every thought captive. We've got to stop them. He said, he said, take heed, be aware of what, you, of what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. For unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. He that hath not for him, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. That does not sound very socialistic to me. Jesus said, if you have, if you're hearing, if you're hearing the right things from the word, hearing the right things in the spirit, the more you hear them, the more you will have. If you're not listening to the Spirit, even that which you have will be taken away. Isn't it amazing how quickly you can forget the scripture you read last night? Because there's an enemy who's stealing the word as soon as he can. If he can, he'll steal it. If we don't, if we don't get revelation from it, we must be aware of what we're hearing. If we have ears to hear, we can hear. If we hear, we'll open ourselves up to hearing more. The Amplified says it this way, If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. We need to stick with the word until we perceive and comprehend. And he said to them, Be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's all pretty serious stuff. We must be listening with spiritual ears. What did we start off saying tonight? You reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You have dominance. You have kingly power that you can exercise. You got to hear it with spiritual ears. It sounds really good if you just get it in your mind, but if you don't let it drop into your heart, it'll just be in your mind and be gone when the next problem arises. Amen. That was a great statement right there. Because if you don't hear it with spiritual ears, it, it'll just go. He, see, we, we cannot ignore the Lord and listen to the world. All right? The measure we give to the truth determines the victory we have in lives, in our lives. We must choose to listen to truth. Truth. I mean, we're in election season and there is a lot of not truth out there. A lot of it out there. You've got to listen to truth. 
there's even going to be not truth being spoken by the people you're going to vote for. The truth is His Word, and that's why we have to, we have to listen to it. Okay? We're, we're inundated with the world's way of thinking. It comes and it comes all day, every day. We must take time to invest ourselves in prayer and in the Word of God so we can learn how to think right and so we can have the kind of victory we're supposed to have. Christians think, for the most part, they have no say in the outcome of things. That we're just victims of whatever happens. And it's just kind of a case sirrah, sirrah situation. And we, you know, we hope for the best. No, no, we have a voice with God. The world does not have a voice with God. We do. We believers have a voice with Him. All right? Man is the one God put in the earth to have dominion. Man gave it away. Jesus restored it. But if we will remain connected to God, we can have the kind of dominion the Bible teaches us to have. But we must be connected. And it's got to be more than religion. Amen. It's got to be more than just the Christian religion. It's got to be true Christianity. All right? Satan stole dominion in the Garden of Eden. And he was disconnected from God the day that the Bible says he died. But Jesus regained dominion at the cross. When he went down, took the keys of hell and death, he gained the dominion. All right? So that's why Romans 5.17 says what it says. We reign in life by one Jesus Christ. All right? We mustn't allow life to rule us. Most people have it backward. Life tells them what to do. Their bank account tells them what to do. Their emotions tell them what to do. We let life tell us what to do. Through fear, through um, anxiety, through circumstance. The Bible says we reign in life. Not life reigns in us. This is good so far, huh? We then must take our God-given stand on the Word of God. The Scripture says He upholds all things with what? The Word of His power. He upholds all things. When we take our stand on the Word, He now is obligated to uphold it. But we have to take our stand on it. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. We've got to obey what he says, live by faith, in spite of the opposition that might come our way. We've got to take it very seriously. We've got to understand what's going on here. doesn't mean we don't have fun in life, because people who reign in life usually are having the fun. So we reign in life. I mean, that was pretty good. I never thought of saying that before. Christians live with frowns on their faces. Have you ever noticed that? It's like we grit our teeth. I'm going to have enough faith to win this range. <laughs> we ought to understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength and we ought to be the happiest people out there. Amen. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We ought to be happy because we win. And if you really believe you're going to win, you'll be happy. If you got in the boxing ring with the heavyweight champion of the world and the fight was fixed and you knew you are going to win, you'd be smiling the whole time. <laughs> It's fixed already. Jesus has already won. We now just enforce that victory. We ought to be happy, happy people 
all the time. We've got to live by faith, enjoying it. If you really believe what God said, you really will be happy and not worried. Let me read you this passage. Mark is my favorite book in the Bible, so I'm going to read a large section out of Mark chapter 1. I really like Mark. I thought about just starting next year just teaching from Mark because I love it. Uh, it's, have you ever read Mark? 16 chapters is all it has. It is the action gospel. Mark was written to the Romans because it's full of action. And the Romans had were like Americans. They had no attention span. And so he wrote it to the Romans so they could read it and get it. Get it quickly. So let me read. So that, maybe that's why I like it so much. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And they went to Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. Now, that's an interesting statement. He taught them as one that had the... In other words, the scribes didn't have authority. They bossed people around, but they did not have authority. And the people knew it. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, you'd think that'd be a good thing to say, right? Except it was a demon saying it. Because he's trying to stop the whole meeting. And he said, and, and, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit came, had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed. Now, would you be amazed if that happened at church? <laughs> yeah, I'd be amazed if there was a demonic manifestation in most churches. Yeah. Because they're pretty comfortable there most of the time. Not, not every church, a lot of churches. I don't want to make a blanket statement because they're, anyway. And it came out of him, and they were all amazed, insomuch they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout the whole region round about Galilee. No joke. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came in, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered to them. That's pretty good. Get your sick mother-in-law out of bed, and she fixes your dinner. Everything was good. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Don't you love that? I mean, that's just like a typical day in the life of Jesus. Preaches at the church, heals his mother-in-law, casts out devils right and left, heals people. I mean, just look at him. He cast out devils with ease. The scripture says he cast them out with his word. With his word, he cast them out. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. The scripture, when it says he healed many, it literally says he healed the many. Not just because over and over in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it says, and Jesus healed them all. So Jesus healed the many that came. I mean, think about that. The whole city was gathered at the door, and this was one night when no one in the whole town was sick. If the whole town was there and he healed the many that were sick, and apparently there were many of them, the whole town was well for at least one night. That's pretty cool. And just think about it. He, he ministered as one that had authority. Now, he had authority. He knew what he was doing. 
I mean, when you just think about Jesus, just imagine being with him, how, how big your eyes would have opened all the time when Jesus did a new miracle that you had never seen before. Have you ever seen a miracle before? Does it get your attention? Does it ever get old? It never gets old when you see God do something that you've never seen before. I remember seeing Catherine Kuhlman for the first, I've only seen her once. I wasn't even, even spirit-filled. You know, I thought I knew everything. I mean, I was 18, and I wish I'd have solved all the world's problems while I was still 18 because I knew it all. <laughs> but I saw this lady that I'd seen on TV, and I thought she was crazy. And I went to see her because my friend said she was going to be there. And I said, why would I want to go see this crazy woman preach? A woman preacher, number one, and she's crazy, number two. And he said, well, this girl's going to go with me if you'd like to go. I'm going then. I'll go if she's going to go. So I went because this girl was there, and I said, okay, what time does it start? He said, 7 o'clock. He said, I said, okay, you picked me up about 6.45. I lived in Lubbock, and we were, it was going to be at the Coliseum when it was still, uh, still built. He said, no, no, we have to be there at 3 o'clock. I said, in the afternoon? To see a crazy woman preacher? And he said, if we don't go at 3, we won't get in. We got there at 3. There were probably three or 400 people already there. And we're in line. They're singing praise songs and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. But I went in and I saw a miracle. And I'm going to tell you something about miracles. Miracles settle the issue. Nobody argues theology when somebody gets out of a wheelchair. Nobody argues theology when a person who couldn't see can now see or couldn't talk and now talk. Nobody cares about your theology. I could go on about miracles are just fun to think about. Prayed for a little boy in, in Chile, in Santiago, Chile one night. He could not talk. And I'd seen lots of miracles, but he couldn't talk. He had never said a word in his life. And we prayed for him. And I said, now say Jesus. The interpreter said, dice Jesus. And the little boy said, Jesus, as clearly as I just said it. Nobody was wondering if I had dunked or sprinkled. Nobody cared. All they knew is that Jesus was the healer and that he was in the house. Well, that's a day in the life of Jesus that happened all the time to him. I mean, just think about that. Think about Jesus. In Matthew 28, in Matthew 8, 26, he calmed a storm from a boat. He said, hush, is what it literally says. Hush. And the storm just quit. He dominated it with his word. In Luke chapter 5, in verses 1 through 11, Jesus instructed Peter to go catch a fish and take the money out of his mouth and pay their taxes. Jesus dominated nature. Dominated the wind. I mean, he dominated. Here in Mark chapter 1, he healed. He cast out devils. He dominated demons and sickness. Jesus dominated. He had dominion and he knew it. In John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus dominated death. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's who he is. The scripture says, 
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do. That should be the normal Christian life. We ought to be dominating. Jesus never ran from the devil. And the devil always ran from Jesus because Jesus dominated the works of the devil. And and that's, that's the Jesus we need to come back to, right? That's the Jesus that, that we know. That's the Jesus that we believe in. He dominated. People were amazed because Jesus ministered as one who had authority. When you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never begged the Father to do anything. In fact, rarely did Jesus pray before, he, before a miracle happened. He prayed all the time. He prayed every day. But he never prayed. He never asked. He never, oh God, please heal this one. No, he just commanded the sickness to leave. Commanded the demons to come out. He, he just had, he just operated this authority. He didn't beg. And the scripture says that he did all these things as a man. Not as God. He dominated these things as a man. The scripture says in 1 John 3 verse 8, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10.38, we read this last week, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The anointing in Jesus healed all. It healed everybody. I mean, man, When you read the Bible, it's full of God's covenant people standing against impossible odds, and they overcome them with the power of God. Men and women of God who dominated their opposition, even though it was impossible. And the Bible says that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have dominion. Dominion. One time I worked in a jewelry store, this is a long time ago, and they got this, well, we got this new watch in, it was called the Dominator. It was a massive watch. It had this huge box that it came in. It was the dominator. And I thought, that's what we ought to be, the dominator. (laughs) I mean, we ought to dominate the devil. We ought to dominate. We reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We reign in life. We don't need to be scared by the devil. We don't need to be run away by him. We, need, we dominate. Man, when Jesus was in his earthly body, he dominated Satan. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he gave up his heavenly abilities to operate on earth as a man. God instructed man in Genesis to have dominion. We're supposed to be having dominion, dominating. See, and so we need to know, if we're going to dominate If we're going to have dominion, if our dominion is for us to have, how's that going to happen? We're going to do it the way Jesus did it. We have to do what Jesus did. I mean, first of all, Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's just all there is to it. We're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. and We're going to have to be being filled with the Spirit. It's going to be more than just having done it. In 1970 or 1980 or 1990, we must be being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Man, we need it. We, we, we've got to. We've got to be. The, what does the Holy Spirit do? He makes us fall in love with the Word. He makes us fall in love with Jesus. You know, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we, it's all about Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. This is how we're going to have to have dominion here. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. But, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doth the Son likewise. We're going to have to hear and see what the Father wants us to do. We have to, we're, going to have to, we're going to see something. We're not going to dominate till we do it the Jesus way. So, a couple of things here. I don't know how much time I'm going to be able to get all this in. We'll see how far I get. If we're going to dominate, if we're going to have dominion the way the Bible, the Scripture tells us to, the first thing you've got to know, who you are. You've got to know who you are. Most Christians don't know who they are in Christ. If you don't know who you are in Him, you'll never see the Father do anything. You'll never hear the Father. I mean, you've got to know. Lily Tomlin one time made this statement. She said, I always wanted to be somebody, but now I see I should have been more specific. Well, <laughs> you need to be specific. Who, who, who do you want to be? Most of us grew up in churches where we've been trained by religion to think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace or worms of the dust. Oh, we're nothing, we're, we're nothing but, but worms. Oh, we're nothing but dust. I've, I've told this story before, but it goes, it's worth repeating here. A little girl and her daddy were at church one Sunday, and the pastor says, Oh, God, we're just but dust in your sight. And the little girl says, Daddy, Daddy, what is butt dust? <laughs> we are not butt dust. We are not worms. We have called ourselves unworthy, that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that we don't deserve anything good from God. I was at a ministerial alliance service we were for the city, and so we're backstage before the service started, and we were going to pray. So one preacher, it was one preacher's job to pray for all of us, and he got up and he began to pray, oh God, we're just sinners. We're so unworthy. We're so unworthy. And I thought, is that guy even saved? Unworthy. We've called ourselves those things. That's what we've said. Oh, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We've been taught that we're no good, that we're just worms of the dirt. I mean, let me just ask you something. I just told you all those things we say. Can you find them in the Scripture? Because it's not scriptural unless you have Scripture for it. I know David called himself a worm one time. He was wrong. Because he was the king of Israel. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible call you a sinner? Do you think? You're not going to have dominion as long as you think you're a sinner. Because what could a sinner do? I mean, if you've been born again, the Lord doesn't see you or consider you a sinner. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, To them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints... With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. If you call upon the Lord, if you are born again tonight, you are not a sinner. Now you may have symptoms of sin from time to time. 
but you're not a sinner. The scripture calls you a saint. You know, they referred to me as Pastor Randy for lots of years. I wish they would have referred to me as Saint Randy. I think that would have been better. That would have been a more accurate title. Saint. You are a saint. You don't have to wait till you die to become a saint. You're a saint right now. That's what the Bible said. All right. We, we are called to be saints. Are you worthless? My dad used to call me worthless all the time. And I grew up thinking that maybe I was worthless. But the Bible tells us that God paid a ransom for us. God paid the ransom. He paid a price for us. I preached a sermon one time. I can't remember the title of it. But basically I said, the person who determines value is the person who makes the purchase. The purchaser determines value. Whoever whoever's willing to pay the money, they're the ones who determine the value. Okay? I mean, that, that's just... I, I ran across this this week. Last week, a vivid pink, flawless diamond that weighed... Uh, that weighed... Oh, I can't remember how much it weighed. Anyway, it, it, was, it was a vivid pink, flawless. It's now called the Williamson Pink Star, sold for $57.7 million. $5.2 million a carat. 200 milligrams is what a carrot weighs. It was, it was $5.2 million for 200 milligrams. Is it worth it? Heck yeah. Some guy named Williamson paid $57.7 million. That's what it's worth. Because the buyer determined the value of the diamond. The buyer we were purchased by God. He determined our value. You cannot be worthless even while you were a sinner because Christ died while we were yet sinners. You weren't worthless. The scripture says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. The word precious means priceless, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. God considered you priceless. He redeemed you with priceless blood. I read today that when, when King Charles was Prince Charles, he bought a ring for Diana for $60,000. You've all seen the pictures of the ring. It had a big sapphire in the middle of it, diamonds around that sapphire. He bought it for $60,000. Today, um, the princess Williams, w- w- Prince William's wife wears the ring, or whatever her name is. Yeah. You know how much it's worth today? It is priceless. You cannot put a price on the ring because of who owned the ring, because of its history. It is priceless. The blood of Jesus is priceless. And God was willing to go to market and pay for you with priceless blood. If you call yourself worthless, you just declared that the blood of Jesus was worth nothing. So you, can't, you are not worthless. You are redeemed with, with, with priceless blood. Amen. Oh, you, 
You can't call yourself a filthy, dirty, rotten, no good sinner. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We have been made the righteousness of God. Jesus was made sin. We've been made righteous. You are not a filthy, no good, worthless sinner. You're the righteousness of God. It's not, the scripture says, not because of works of righteousness that we've done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed lavishly upon us. The scripture is true. It's not about our works of righteousness. It's about our ability to receive the finished work of Jesus at the cross. I like this message. See, does that mean we never make a mistake? No, that's not what it means. But it, but, it, but it means this, the, the remedy for sin when you got saved is the same remedy for sin now when you mess up. It's the same remedy all the time. The scripture demonstrates that his blood will always, 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 always make a way for us out of temptation. And if we fail to heed the way out, there's always a way back. And it's called repentance. Not just being sorry, but truly having a change of, of, of mind. God wants us to have dominion. You may have been a sinner, but now you are the righteousness of God. You ought to look at yourself in the mirror before you go to bed tonight and just say out loud, I am the righteousness of God. Now, your feelings may not agree with you. The devil will come right now and say, no, you're not. Remember this, remember that. But the scripture said, you were made the righteousness of God. Now you are a saint of God. You're a saint, not because you're a good person, but because you've received Jesus' righteousness. It has made you righteous. So now, if you understand who you really are, you can act the way you really are because you always will act in accordance with how you see yourself. If you see yourself as a sinner, guess what? You see yourself as righteous, guess what happens? You begin to operate in that righteousness. We will never dominate until we become righteous conscious instead of sin conscious. The devil is going to remind you of your sin over and over. You need to remind him of his future and get on with righteousness. We'll never earn anything with our righteousness, but we've already gained access by his righteousness. When John saw Jesus in the Isle of Patmos, Jesus never came and said to John, remember, Jesus became sin. And Jesus never came to John and said, oh, I'm just an old sinner. John never said, I'm just an old sinner, even though he got on his face. Jesus became sin. He never sinned, but he became sin. And when he appeared to John, he didn't talk about sin He talked about the resurrection. Jesus identified with the resurrection because he said to John, I'm he that was alive, was dead, and now I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. Jesus didn't identify with death. He identified with the resurrection. He identified himself with what the scripture said about him. And here's the deal. The scripture says, Therefore, if we are buried with him by baptism unto death, then like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
we should live in resurrection life that dominates, dominates all that the devil is trying to do. Yeah, you know what? Our righteousness may have been as filthy rags, but we exchange that for his righteousness. We, that's who we are. He became, he became sin that we might be made righteous. We must be conscious of what he's done for us if we're going to ever do anything for God. I'm telling you, the first time you start praying for somebody that's sick, the devil's going to remind you about how bad you were today or yesterday. But you've got to be conscious of the resurrection of his righteousness. Mealy-mouthed Christianity will never get it done. We're just not any good. Listen to this. Acts 4.33, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Unlearned and ignorant according to the world. This Peter was one of those two guys. He denied the Lord. He repented. And now miracles are happening. Jerking people up by the hand because they couldn't walk. Miracles are happening. Now they're dominating. They have dominion. Because something happened to them. In Acts chapter 5 verse 15 it says of Peter, Insomuch they brought forth the sick in the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And they got healed. I mean that's, that is powerful stuff. But you've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know exactly what you are, what you're supposed to be doing. You are not some defeated, worthless wannabe. You are a child of God. You are righteous. You are in Him. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture. It's a long one. And then I think I might be through. Ephesians chapter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. <coughs> Excuse me, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are seen in heaven, which are on earth, even in him, in whom in whom we've also obtained inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worked all things after the counsel of his own will. In Christ, in him, in whom. Listen, we understand that our right standing is based on Jesus because we are in him. We're not good on our own merit, but we now have right standing and are no longer sinners, but we should be having dominion. Man, what you know in your heart, you will say with your mouth, and I'm closing with this, how the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You should never again call yourself worthless, no good, not able, terrible, a terrible person, whatever else may come out of your mouth. You should never say that. Fill your heart with who you are. To have dominion, you've got to first of all know who you are. And then there are two other things. I'll try to do them next week. We are to have dominion. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for dominion.
We thank you for our dominion in Christ, for who we are, for what we are. Father, I declare tonight, we are saints of God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, I thank you. I honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.